Welcome to the First Prez podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. We are in a series on great questions, and uh, this morning Tim has asked me to uh, open the scriptures to us and talk a little bit about what Jesus has to say about worry, something that apparently some children deal with, but obviously no adults. <laughs> so the gospel passage that is uh, laid before us comes out of the, uh, the gospel of Luke. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Luke 12, we'll listen to what Jesus has to say to us this morning. It starts in verse 22. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds, and who of you? by worrying, can add a single hour to your life. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why would you worry about the rest? Consider how the flowers, wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You have little faith. Do not set your hearts on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where there no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heavenly Father, we would ask now in the name of Jesus that you would use this scripture to transform our lives, that we would be different because we've encountered you through your word. We trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 1984, I had just graduated from Princeton Seminary, got a call to Young Life in Sacramento. So Elizabeth and I were driving our very powerful 1978 Chevy Chevette. What a piece of chemistry in front of you. All aluminum, aluminum everything. Aluminum seats, aluminum sides, aluminum tires, (laughs) aluminum engine, four cylinders all in a row. It was a work of art. Hooked it up to a rider truck, put all of our worldly possessions in it, and started to drive across I-80 from Princeton, New Jersey, out to Sacramento. We got somewhere in Iowa. It's getting late in the day, and all of a sudden you can see kind of the storm clouds were brewing. We're listening to the radio, and it says, tornado warning in your area. Now I'm in Southern California. I don't even know what a tornado warning means, but I know it's not good. Being the head of the household and relatively young, I'm feeling a little bit responsible. And because there was no GPS, there was no internet. Al Gore had not invented it yet. 
There wasn't a cell phone. There was, we couldn't afford a AAA troop tick. Remember those things that you used to? That's called pre-planning. We had none of it. So we're uh, running low on gas, and my wife's looking at me, and I'm going, yeah, okay, and praying to God that a gas station and or some hotel would show up. Well, this hotel did show up, and, uh, and it was dirt cheap. And I do mean dirt cheap in every way. We checked in. We went into the hotel. The room was just a disaster. It was like a, it was like a zoo with animals crawling on the floor. It's like, oh, this or Pull back the sheets of the bed. It didn't look like they'd been changed in about a year and a half. Put the sheets back. We opened up the covers. We slithered into bed. I laid down my brain spinning from worry, knowing we needed to get up in the morning pretty early, maybe 6 or 7, and get on the road. I tried to sleep. Well, the morning did come. And I did get up. I was in the shower. My wife comes into the shower. She says, what are you doing? I said, well, well, I'm, I'm taking a shower. I'm, I'm getting ready for the day. She says, 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> I was still sleepwalking in the shower from fear of the day. I'm not typically a worrisome person, but I tell you, there have been times in my life where worry has begun to consume me. For all of us, worry is important. It's part of our lives. We know it. We worry about our kids. We worry about our marriages. We worry about our jobs. We worry about the government. We worry about our political party. We worry about our church. We worry about our income. We, worry about... we can worry about anything. This season for Elizabeth and me, many of you know, this is a season of worry. Two years ago, diagnosed with multiple myeloma cancer, turned our world completely upside down. Not a day has gone by where worry has not come in from a doctor's appointment, from a lab result, from a stem cell transplant, from chemotherapy, from something legitimate, extremely legitimate, dealing with worry. So this sermon has been written for one purpose and one purpose only, for me. (laughs) I'm just letting you in to a little conversation I have with the Lord between he and me when it comes to this scripture and worry. And maybe God will speak to you as well. 1947, a poem was written called The Age of Anxiety. The Age of 1947. How much more so the age of anxiety now? Anxiety in our culture continues to rise. It's been said that 40 to 50% of all adult Americans, deal with anxiety on a significant basis. And not only the adult world, but the teenage and the adolescent world. It's epidemic. They say that 25% of teenagers have been diagnosed with some sort of anxiety disorder. 25%. If you're not talking to your children or your grandchildren about anxiety and worry, you're missing a big part of their life. To the extent that Adderall is no longer the number one prescription medication for the young people to deal with ADD, it's now Valium to deal with anxiety. It's growing massively in our culture. We came into this service today, for many of us, with anxiety on our hearts. And I do know this, this is not the way God intends us to live. This is not what he wants for us. He came to implement something different. And so for the sake of conversation today, I'm going to define worry very simply, non-clinically, this way. Worry is any negative feeling of dread, gloom, 
constant concern or anxiety that robs you of peace, joy, and the fullness of life. Let me say it again. Any negative feeling of dread, gloom, constant concern, or anxiety that robs you of peace, joy, and the fullness of life. I'm not a clinician. I know that anxiety, disorder, and depression are very, very real, and that many have experienced that in a way that I have not. I'm not so much talking about the clinical aspect of depression and anxiety today. I'm talking about the general run-of-the-mill, everybody's got it type of worry and anxiety that is so much a part of everyday life. And I think the Scripture speaks to us on this topic. So, looking at Luke 12, we, uh, we see from the very beginning of Luke 12 that it says, the crowds began to swarm around Jesus, thousands of them. And Luke says this, they began trampling on each other to hear Jesus speak. What a sweet picture that would be. Wouldn't you love a church service? Where there were so many people trying to get in the door, we were trampling on each other? A lot of you go, no, that's why we come to the 830. I don't want that. And I go, no, this would be a great thing. I work with teenagers. We want the idea that Jesus had something to say and that thousands came trampling on each other to hear from Jesus. And what did he say? If we look to the Gospel of Matthew, this is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, or the Sermon on the Mount. Luke takes it out and pieces it up a little bit differently than Matthew, but it's much of the same context. And in, 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 in these two passages, Jesus is talking about hypocrisy, saying one thing, believing one thing, doing another, very practical, about how to be a giver but be discreet about it. How do you deal with fear? What is prayer? What is God's knowledge of you? What is fasting in the, in the spiritual world? What is wealth and greed? And then he comes to this very practical idea of worry. Verse 22, he says to the crowds, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. To the New Testament people that were coming, this must have seemed absolutely ludicrous. In the New Testament time, that's all you did is think about what you eat, where you're going to live. Food, clothing, shelter, security consumed life. And Jesus is saying, listen to me. There's more to this world than those things. And no wonder the people were coming in droves to hear what he had to say. What is it that's more than the very basic issues of life? Think for a second. Jesus says, think of the birds and the flowers. The birds don't have barns to store up their food. They don't have storehouses to make uh, enough food for tomorrow. They simply live day to day. And Jesus said, it is God who provides for them. Think of the flowers. They don't worry. They're more beautiful and intricate than Solomon and all of his splendor. Just one little flower. God takes care of that. But what about us? Does God provide for us in the same way? He says this about worry. It gets very practical because we know worry is, is extremely natural and extremely illogical. Because Jesus says in verse 25, Who of you, by worrying, can add one single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why would you worry about the rest of things? 
He must have had everybody on the hillside breathless listening. You're right. Worry can't add one hour to my life. It doesn't have that impact. For those of you 80 years old or so, you've lived about 700,000 hours so far. Some of you are north of that. Getting close to three-quarters of a million hours of life, that's a lot. And yet, (laughs) absolutely. And yet you can't, by worrying, change one thing that's meaningful and important. That has to get our attention. This is why Eugene Peterson writes this for us this way. He says, relax. Don't be preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. God will provide. Do you believe this? This is a question very pertinent to our soul this morning. Jesus goes on to say, listen, verse 33, you can sell everything you have and God will still provide. Do you believe this? This becomes an issue of do I trust God? This is a very pertinent question for us. I believe this is a fair statement. That worthy or worry is a direct result of lack of trust in our Heavenly Father. Read it slowly. Worry is a direct result of lack of trust in our Heavenly Father. God promises to provide not our wants, but our needs as his children. Why is it then that we spend so much energy worrying about things we have no control over? Our power is not in the change of things that consume us. Our power is in the very basic issue of what do you set your heart on? If our heart is set on making things every okay for our children or our spouse or our work, we're going to be miserable. You can't affect almost any of the things that you worry so much about, but you can have this effect. You can seek God with all your heart. The antidote to worry is not don't worry. It's seek his face. Seek the kingdom of God. Matthew says it well in verse six, chapter 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God, and the rest of this stuff will play itself out. Do you believe this? Do you trust your heavenly Father's word? Do you trust what Jesus had to say? This is a conversation change agent to lordship. Is Jesus my Lord. Trust that your life is hidden in Christ, that you are okay, your children are okay, because he is covering you, not because your life will turn out the way you want it. This is a lordship issue, a submission to his ownership, and it's not just for you, but for all that you worry about. Worry is pointless, useless, destructive, futile, and just plain silly. Not because the issues are not real or severe. Rather, precisely because you have no power to change the outcome of anything significant. Your power applies 
to your heart in what you seek. If you call Jesus your friend, that is a good thing, but it won't have much impact on worry. If you call Jesus your Savior, that's fantastic. That will come into play significantly when we die and have a little bit of impact now. But if you call Jesus your Lord, you are saying, I trust you with my life. I will get underneath your leadership and believe you will provide for me. This is precisely why the gospel to so many is folly. And it's also precisely why it's so radically powerful and freeing. You and I have a sovereign Lord, one who says, trust me. I am the final authority in all things. Follow me. Stay close to me. Come what may, I have you in mind. Now let's keep our theology straight. Jesus does not protect us from all pain, all heartache, or all harm. There are two kingdoms at play. He's saying, thy kingdom come. Seek first the kingdom of God. This world is the kingdom of this earth. This world is fading, and in this world, it is a fallen and a broken world. Car accidents are real. People die. Wars happen. People get sick. This we know. Yet the promise from God is that he is with us, that we are, in fact, under his protection. The world tells us to take control, take it, medicate it, worry about it, own it. Yet the gospel says you were born with a price. You exist only because of the grace and life-giving power of your creator. Your life is gone. Jesus' life now lives in you. And Jesus will do what Jesus will do. And it's good because God is good. Do you believe this? In life and in death, God is good. A couple weeks ago, Jim preached, or Tim preached on uh, Luke 8. I'm going to use the same passage out of, out of Mark 4, and it's Jesus calming the storm. You know the scriptures. It's a beautiful one. It's Jesus and his disciples have been working all day long, been healing people and feeding people and talking to people, exhausting stuff. And it says that in evening time, they got into a boat and they began to go across the lake. And Jesus was so tired, he fell asleep on the back of the boat. And as they traveled, it says Jesus was asleep, snoring as I'm positive he did, as all good Christian believers do. And And a furious squall began to come up, and the waves began to break over the boat. And Jesus continued sleeping in the back of the boat. And the disciples, three feet from the Savior of the world, three feet from the most powerful person that ever walked, three feet from someone who can heal the dead, who can give life, multiply fishes, feed thousands from nothing, three feet, and you're scared out of their mind worried to death. And so they grab Jesus and they shake him and they wake him and they say another one of the most powerful questions ever spoken. Jesus, don't you care that we drown? Jesus, don't you care about my children? Jesus, don't you care about my life? Jesus, don't you care about my wife? Cancer? Really? Jesus, don't you care about my 401k? Jesus, don't you care about America and our politics and what's going on? Jesus, don't you care? Jesus looked like he didn't care. He was asleep. 
how is it that Jesus Christ could be asleep in the midst of a storm? I will tell you how. Because he trusted implicitly in his heavenly Father. Come life or come death, he trusted his Father. He could be at peace in the middle of a storm, raging, life-threatening, coming apart, and Jesus is calm and at peace. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to learn to walk as I walk. This is what I do, so this is what you can do. Is it possible to not worry about things in life? Is it possible to sleep, to be at rest, to be at peace when the entire world is spinning chaotically around you? The world would say, no, you're out of touch. No, you don't understand. No, because you're not worried about it. I have to worry about it. And yet Jesus says, that is foolishness. It robs from your life. Worry is anything that robs from your peace, robs from your joy, and robs from life. This is why Jesus said, don't do it. Instead, replace the worry with this constant desire to seek the face of Jesus, to become more like him. Jesus said in the scriptures that, you know, when it comes to worry, it doesn't seem to be a whole lot different between the pagan and the believer, but they're supposed to be. The pagan, the non-believer, runs after all these things in the world, frantic and chaotic. The believer, the followers of Jesus, are supposed to be the ones that say, I don't need to live that way. I can live calm even when my wife has cancer. This is what Jesus is speaking to me. Can you imagine a world, your world, without worry, that the list of things that Matt listed off here, yours and my list are very distinguished. What would life look like today if all those worries really were taken to the foot of the cross? What if Jesus could take every worry that we could live a life of peace and joy and fullness that we did not have to somehow scurry that somehow the believers of Jesus could live a world of peace and calm in the midst of the storm. This is what Jesus has for you. This is what he has for me. This is what he wants for his children in this world. Heavenly Father, we ask now in the name of Jesus that you would give us this peace, that we would know it, that we would believe your word, that we would actually begin to trust you in a way that you could take away these parts of our lives and give us wholeness and fullness of life, worry-free, peaceful, calm. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the First Prez podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.